0: Welcome in listeners, to time for another episode of the Slump Buster podcast. On today's episode, Kyle and I have a lot of topics to discuss. We talk Ed Ogeron's departure, Ben Simmons getting kicked out of practice, and your upcoming week seven NFL predictions. But before we get into that, folks, it's time to give a shout out to our partners. Caveman Coffee Co. Caveman is a fantastic single source, single origin goodness from a company with impeccable taste and ethics. The people behind it are beautiful souls and the coffee is delicious fuel for the never ending quest to do better, be better, love harder and enjoy deeper. Guys, I tell you their nitro cold brew is the perfect blend of energy and refreshment in the morning. Great way to start the day. But why stop there? They have their mammoth blends, which I highly encourage you getting. They have their hibiscus teas, which are delicious. And guys, if you use our public code slump, you get 15% off your next purchase of any of these fantastic products cavemancoffeeco.com promo code slump guys don't be a chump use promo code slump and get yourself a case today all right y'all it's time for the episode juju talk sports Kyle kind of a better let's get it let's bust a slump and let's enjoy Kyle, I got to tell you, isn't it funny how quickly, you know, we can just change on a subject? Like, for example, last week you were defending Jackson Mahomes, and this week we might have to come out against Jackson Mahomes. (sighs) So he did me no favors this weekend. So for people
1: who don't know, on the uh, the Take It Easy podcast, you can't see this, but I've got the jacket on to rep the brand. But last week, I did a whole podcast talking about how we shouldn't be doing jokes about Jackson and Brittany Mahomes. And now we're getting Jackson Mahomes. Or- I guess Jackson Mahomes' mom, but Patrick Mahomes' mom involved in taking these shots too. But yeah, Jackson Mahomes did something that looked like he was dancing on the grave of Sean Taylor this weekend. If you apply nuance to the situation, it's not actually that. He apologized profusely on the internet, but the internet wanted to take a chance to go after Jackson Mahomes. I just had to laugh at that one. I'm like, wow, I'm the guy who did 30 minutes of a podcast and 10 minutes here on the Slump Buster about this is why we should not be making these, you know, lazy homophobic jokes about Jackson Mahomes and lazy misogynistic jokes about Brittany Mahomes. He's making it harder to defend, but I still will. Even in that case, you should not make those jokes. I love the irony in the idea that you did something that was unintentionally hateful. So our response is going to be even more hateful towards you than the actual thing that you did because the public shaming of Jackson Mahomes is totally unnecessary at this point.
0: Basically, a lot of the discussion was, Shouldn't punch down, but the rest of Twitter wanted to definitely actually punch down on Jackson after that one. Maybe even see him take a Sean Taylor shoulder check. Even if it wasn't the actual grave. you mentioned the nuance of it. Metaphorically, it still kind of has that kind of symbolism. I know the whole Washington Sean Taylor remembrance day was kind of short planned and not even that well thought out to begin with, but well, and also way, possibly just the a PR move to distract
1: from the John Gruden yeah. stuff. That's the other part.
0: But even still just the thought process behind Jackson to even decide to do that. I know you can apologize for it. And you know, we can, the internet will probably move on from it quick enough anyway, but come on, man, be better. You, you have to think that out. People don't even really dance on logos anymore because they know what it kind of means symbolically, we're talking about a guy that literally passed within—I don't know what was it like—the last few years. It hasn't been that long since John Taylor. I think two
1: thousand seven.
0: Maybe yeah, it's I'm
1: just been semi-recently yeah semi-recently
0: still you know recent enough I mean the guy's gone, so it's like well it took Washington <laughs> as a fan
1: base a long time to move on from it too like they because it happened like literally the Sunday night before game day and there was a weird like just outpouring of emotion and they weren't going to play the game and I, I really want someone to make a documentary on the aftermath of these like catastrophic situations because the jose fernandez one is kind of the closest comparison i can make towards it because i didn't i was alive but i didn't really understand the whole sean taylor thing at the time i think i was like seven years old at that point so it wasn't quite the same effect as me and roy halliday too
0: you know as well crazy to to how we lost both of those guys boat accident respectively in jose's case and then roy and like what was a small plane accident
1: Yeah. And that one happened in the off season. So there wasn't like the immediate turnaround. The same thing with um, what's his name? Jordano Ventura with Kansas City Royals.
0: Or Tyler Skaggs, I want to Tyler Skaggs is one of the Angels. Where you had that
1: that moment happen and they ended up canceling the games for the day. I think the Angels didn't they throw a no-hitter in the first game after the Tyler Skaggs death? I remember I think- it was
0: something very impressive. Um, it was the first home
1: game or something. It's something obviously like such
0: a crazy tragedy. Actually, I just saw that that one not too long ago had like a court case that was getting settled, something regarding the doctor who was prescribing Skaggs, the drugs that he would eventually overdose on.
1: Oh, yeah, no, they were running like an opioid ring inside the Angels locker room. Like one of the staff members there was basically an opioid dealer and had clientele with the Angels and outside the Angels. And that ends up being, you know, the thing that leads to an unintentional overdose as opioids have done all across the last two, three decades or so. And so, yeah, I think all these cases where you have short turnarounds to, to bring it back to Sean Taylor and bring it back to Jackson Mahomes, like to have that short of a turnaround really messed with the fan base's heads. And in the case of the Marlins is the reason that the team ended up selling was the Jose Fernandez death led to Jeffrey Loria basically saying, I don't want to do this anymore. And it takes an emotional toll at a certain point. Washington took a while to move on. And now that Washington fan base has been turned away from ownership and the organization. And we can't tell whether they're just incompetent or whether they're doing it maliciously, but it seems like everything Washington does ends up having some sort of negative connotation. We can poke through it, whether it's the photo with Sean Taylor at the porta potties or Dan Snyder showing up to the Jersey retirement ceremony in a sweatshirt, Uh, I mean, I know I'm wearing a sweatshirt now, but it's not the same kind of Come context. On, honor the that.
0: podcast, Kyle.
1: Juju can always put on a suit or at least a sport coat over, but then I show up wearing my take it easy podcast merchandise hoodies. So yeah, I think that there's room to nitpick that just as there's room to nitpick Jackson Mahomes. I don't think anyone is necessarily saying it was a good thing for Jackson Mahomes that he did it, but I don't, I think we're being unfair. It was clear that it was a mistake. One that the, the 21 was there in the VIP section of the field, but B, that Jackson Mahomes ended up dancing on it and that people were able to figure it out. But the internet wants to hate Jackson Mahomes and a certain segment of the internet wants to be homophobic towards...
0: Don't give them a reason, I think is the point, if you're Jackson. Don't give them more reason to hate on you. That one's such an obvious one that regardless of who you are, it's just, just don't do it. Oh yeah, we do public shaming
1: all the time. Like people are doing it to... Adams I don't understand that one for well
0: is the interception bounced off his face in this last but this game. has
1: been going on for years and I, I think don't he's also like
0: one. in the 60s out of 80 graded safeties according to PFF and obviously his is going to be a lot more pressure given not only is he the highest paid safety in the league now I think I saw even the highest paid defensive player currently in the league but mm-hmm. obviously the draft capital that Seattle gave up to acquire him. And now Seattle's in a position where their pick could be extremely high in the draft. And the Jets just got out with a bargain, you know, like a yeah. gift from God there. kind of comparable to what the Eagles currently got going on with three top 10 draft picks it's funny how sometimes you make these trades and they sound good at the time and then like a year later it's like oh wow did we just have like one of those Boston Celtics Nets type deals happen because you look at Laramie
1: Tunsil trade is the gold standard for that right like they ended up giving up the equivalent of five first round picks for Laramie Tunsil, including what would end up being the number three pick that they flipped into three picks so that the Giants could go get Trey Lance. Now, did the Dolphins waste every single pick of those five first round picks? Yes, they did. But they still got five first round picks for Laramie Tunsil in what looked like was going to break the 20 year Dolphin curse that, you know, now it didn't work out that way. But I think the Jets are just looking up like this worked out better than we thought. Not only did we trade Jamal Adams and get these picks that were higher than we thought it would by trading Jamal Adams our team stunk enough to potentially draft a franchise quarterback Joe Douglas is one of these weird cult heroes now on the internet especially among Jets fans and it turned out slightly better than they thought it would and I think they used that pick last year to get what is it Elijah Vera Tucker I think is on the Jets now I think they got him with that first pick so after this we'll be able to evaluate the trade and see how it worked out but back to Jamal Adams I don't understand why The internet keeps taking apart Jamal Adams. Oh, actually,
0: I'm not going to let you get away that quickly here. You brought up the Dolphins curse and that turnaround not coming soon enough. I want to bring up here from this point forward, regardless of you finishing higher than me in the pick 'em this week, picking the Jaguars to beat the Dolphins in London. From this point forward, rest of the episode, I demand to be not referred to as Juju, not referred to as Julian. Pod God is the only thing I will respond to, Kyle. The pod god also picked the
1: Browns and the Chargers. uh,
0: We are focusing on the Jaguars ending a 20-plus game losing streak against a 10-win team from a season ago, mind you. Rookie quarterback, rookie head coach on the road. Not like two have played bad either. You know, (laughs) you talk about that one panning out. I don't know. I just had that kind of inclination. And sure enough, I mean,
1: no, you got it. You congratulations. You you were correct. I called you dumb for picking the team that had lost 20 games in a row and they won the game. Well played. You've um, all
0: stand up. Let's go. Yes. Jaguars, all five of you. Let's go. We are not the worst. Kendra Middleton, shout out to you. I mean, on the podcast right before the Jaguars got their win. Actually, you know, talking to Kendra last week on the show, how she wanted the Jaguars actually to go as a fan to 30 straight losses just to have the sheer absolute record. No one's beating it type thing before pulling off this win. And you know they let her down there too. They can't even lose properly now. How yeah. the Dolphins are out there? God, Dolphins! I don't even know where to rank of this week. I want to put them like thirty-one, honestly. The
1: Jaguars have become the silver standard for tanking. If the if the one in thirty-one Browns who should have gone zero and thirty-two because Chargers missed a weird field goal in the one win that they had in two seasons, that's the gold standard of being terrible. The Jaguars have supplanted the zero and sixteen Lions for the silver standard of being. Being terrible at professional football because the only two streaks longer than the Jacksonville Jaguars losing streak in NFL history were the 1941 Bears, which, okay, if we want to count that back when franchises were worth $800,000 and people were going to literally fight in World War II, sure, and the 1976 Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who lost their first 26 games in franchise history. Which can mostly just be associated with they kind of screwed them in the expansion draft rules. So, under non war and expansion draft circumstances, the Jaguars did have the longest losing streak in the history of the NFL.
0: (laughs) It's crazy how much that franchise has bottomed out. You know, we also had a long discussion on the last podcast too about should Shad Khan eventually like sell this team? And You know, when you look at Shad Khan's outside interest, outside of the Jacksonville Jaguars, apparently he owns a soccer team that's also really, really bad. The only thing right now that the Cons are doing extremely well is AEW. They're putting in all the money to make sure they have the best wrestling product they can. Hell, I'm at the news occasionally from time to time. I'm like, wow, they got that former WWE guy? They got that former WWE guy? You know, it's funny. Even though I don't watch professional wrestling anymore, I do really like this one guy wrestling podcast, WWE podcast. Jason Saul Monster of the Saul Monster Podcast. And it's funny to hear him uh, complain about all the things that WWE is doing when I'm seeing all this news from AEW. So maybe the cons should just put all their assets into AEW and just drop everything else. Because clearly that's the only thing they're succeeding in. A sport that doesn't have actual reality based into it. Surely what they can script. If only they could script up a few more Jaguars wins or wins for whatever their football club is.
1: You know, what's kind of insane about all of that is that right now, all elite wrestling is only worth about $4 million. The Jacksonville Jaguars, if they sold today would be worth close to $2.5 billion. If, If you want to do the Dr. Evil thing right there. It's amazing how much value an NFL franchise has even the terrible ones like the Jaguars which I guess this is the point in the proceedings where I remind everyone the Jaguars were up 10 points with eight minutes to go in the AFC championship against the New England Patriots literally four years ago three calendar years ago they were ahead 10 points with eight minutes to go in the AFC championship against Tom Brady
0: and here we are talking about the Jaguars winning I forgot where we were going before that we're really just kind of jumping around topics here in fact you know we're going to jump around a little bit more how about this latest drama ben simmons shows up to philadelphia ben simmons kicked out practice ben simmons suspended game one doc rivers putting his foot down let's talk about that one kyle Get the fuck out. Of I here.
1: don't think I knew of this until just now. I did not know Ben Simmons was suspended for the first game. I'm just learning about this. As you say, it. conduct uh,
0: detrimental to the team is the official suspension rationale.
1: So I had known about all the other stuff from yesterday that Ben Simmons showed up to practice with his phone in his pocket. The video of him doing the breakdown at the end of the team meeting and not being part of it. And then just dipping out immediately. Rich Paul, I should say Adele's boyfriend Rich Paul trying to negotiate him a trade, but also trying to force the leverage of the Sixers. I just learned right now, because this broke full disclosure, I was in class before this, so I did not know that Ben Simmons had been suspended for game one and that Doc Rivers is going to be disciplinarian. As if Doc Rivers doesn't already have a bad enough reputation of being a non-players coach. He's going to be disciplinarian who suspends Ben Simmons for one game to start the season. Uh, this is going wonderfully, isn't it? Ben Simmons is reporting just so he doesn't get fined in his Marshawn Lynch style mode where, you know, he magically shows up to the facility during a preseason game. And this is a true story. Elton Brand, the general manager gets a text saying, yo, Ben's outside. Just in the middle of a preseason game. They haven't heard from him in months. They tried to fly there, couldn't talk to him. Nope, he's just going to randomly show up at the team facility on a random Monday and derail everything that is going on for the Sixers. I'm just filling time so I can learn what just happened with Doc Rivers suspending him because that's genuinely an amazing story.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm on one hand. Very glad that the Sixers had a little bit of bite in this situation because it kind of just seemed like they were going to let him come in, get off scot-free, and proceed like nothing happened. This shows a little disciplinary action. I I think you need a little bit of that because Ben has just been so... Kyrie Irving-ish this offseason as far as handling this situation. I, I think it's important for the organization to have something. You mentioned, yeah, it's kind of funny coming from the source of Doc Rivers, but how can you as Doc Rivers stand in front of a team when you have this guy who's been in and out of your locker room, didn't even want to talk to his teammates, didn't even want to show up to practice? All this extra stuff that these guys have to do, and he's just going to just log in, nothing happened. We're just going to proceed as normal. I, I think it was important for Doc Rivers to do something. You just got to kind of do something uh, is the important thing. I, I think this applies to any workplace, any sporting locker room. Hell, this is the type of thing we would see in like a high school locker room. If like a player was having the same kind of stuff, not wanting to show up to class or something, they would get disciplined. They would miss a game. You know, doc just kind of put against the corner. I kind of wonder what the situation was leading up to it, though. You know, I wonder if it was just one of those things where it's just like, dude, if you want to be here, go just get out of here or was it like, hey, you know, given all the stuff in the offseason, you know, we want to suspend you just the first game or something. I just kind of wanted to know what that conversation was. I wish I could be a fly in the wall for that one.
1: Yeah. And Ben Simmons, I think the the part that is important to talk about here is that from what we can tell, and I don't think we have a lot of information, it seems like the Sixers are trying to do the leadership thing. This feels more like a Ben Simmons thing than a Sixers thing. Now, did the Sixers alienate Ben Simmons in the first place and kind of focus more on Joel Embiid? as being the franchise player and kind of just ice him out a bit yeah I think there were failures before then that this the organization as a whole failed to figure out combined with the fact Daryl Morey actively tried to trade him for James Harden too all of that was a failure on the front end I think the response after everything has been at least acceptable from the time being they've I I think if you're Doc Rivers the way you do it is you sit Ben Simmons in front of the team and you make him address the situation and I think they tried to do that when they went to California and Ben told. Them, He would meet with them. Uh, He gets to the locker room and I think he wants to pretend like nothing's happening. He's only there because he doesn't want to continue to get million dollar fines. It would appear now like now we have more context if he's getting thrown out of practice for not wanting to be there and getting suspended for the first game. Ben Simmons is committed to leaving Philadelphia, which we kind of thought was true, but now we know he's willing to make it ugly in order to get out of Philadelphia. And this is something that's kind of important every time a disgruntled star requests a trade because stars, even at the top level of sports, are still labor and management is still management giving the paychecks because even if you make 30 million dollars if your boss makes three billion dollars there's a power dynamic between the two of those and so in that situation they don't have many options of leverage and so one of the leverage options for a star is to make things ugly so much so that the organization decides that it's not worth it to continue trying to ride this situation out james harden we remember last year was very willing to make it ugly despite having three years left on his contract. This is another part that plays into it I should address first. One of the leverage options, I think probably the best leverage option for a star player is I can leave as a free agent and you will get nothing for me that is a great leverage option that players and agents use all the time. And it's the best leverage option that was available. Again, that's a labor situation of free market that didn't exist until the 1970s, et cetera, et cetera. Like Oscar Robertson couldn't have done that in the past. There was no free agency back in the 1960s and 70s, but free agency is leverage for the players. James Harden was willing to make it ugly with three years left on the contract when he didn't have that free agency looming leverage. Ben Simmons has four years left on his contract so leaving as a free agent is not a leverage option for him all he has left is retire or willing to make things ugly and Ben Simmons is definitely willing to make things ugly. James Harden did, and he got out before Deshaun Watson's legal stuff. He looked like he was willing to make things ugly. Aaron Rodgers was willing to go halfway to make it ugly, but didn't want to commit all the way to like blowing up the relationship and becoming a pariah in Green Bay, the way Ben Simmons is now in Philadelphia, where they're booing him at UFC fights in Philadelphia. And Russell Wilson immediately folded when things came to coming ugly. He immediately just said nope I'm gonna go back to being corporate Russell Wilson it was fun for a month when people thought I wanted to trade but I'm gonna
0: bail immediately on that see the problem is Ben didn't eat enough cake this offseason didn't really just balloon up if he just added like 20-30 pounds to his frame except in the wrong direction I think he would be obviously traded off the 76ers worked for Harden but he didn't make it Harden enough for them I guess you would say (laughs)
1: I am going through Twitter right now. Joel Embiid at his opening press conference before the first game quote, at this point, I don't care about that man in reference to Ben Simmons. He does whatever he wants.
0: I mean, okay. So that kind of makes you wonder if like the most important team captain in that locker room, Joel Embiid, basically went up to Doc and said, hey, we got to do something here. We got to make some kind of statement because I wonder if this is solely a management decision. Is this solely a Doc Rivers decision? Or even the team has some input into this as well because we saw a little bit of that with Harden last year whenever we had the conference where... Boogie Cousins was on him. John Wall was on him, you know, and then it seemed like that sparked the trade to officially happen. That brings me back to Joel Embiid's comments just from a couple weeks ago where he's like, hey, we've done everything to build around Ben. We traded Jimmy Butler, let go of Jimmy Butler because we wanted Ben to be the primary ball handler with That said, like, Joel and Ben being on the same court just doesn't seem like it's something that you can even have anymore because there's going to be a lot of dirty looks.
1: So the, the precedent we have for this recently is James Harden. And we could have had it with Kyrie Irving back when he was on the Cavs and he requested a trade, but the Cavs traded him before the season began. And this time players are willing to deal with it a little bit for now but as the season goes along this is going to get worn thin real quick for the the Sixers so yeah it might be Joel Embiid too but it's also walking back into the locker room that's going to make it that much more awkward and I think Simmons pressure at this point because I remember there was also the quote from Rich Paul through Adrian Wojnarowski I think that basically said it's not our job to worry about the Sixers getting fair value for Ben Simmons it's our job to get him out of Philadelphia and uh according to to shams too. just the quote real quick for you were asking what happened before it here is according to shams what ended up happening before simmons was kicked out of practice today so according to sources doc rivers asked ben simmons to join a defensive drill today simmons refused rivers asked again simmons said no again rivers then told simmons he should go home simmons dropped the ball and left
0: wow i i guess it's one of those situations where They have to ask you to leave. Like you mentioned, making it so ugly. If they ask you to leave, then you could just leave. Ben took that seriously. But
1: the way it was being phrased was kicked out of practice. Like there was some major escalation towards it, which maybe Doc Rivers was yelling at him. But it it was like, like,
0: do the drill. No, do the drill. You know, it could have been something like
1: that. Here's like how, you know, if you're watching it, if Doc Rivers got on Ben Simmons and like started yelling at him or being hard on Ben Simmons, it means Doc Rivers cares like the tough love kind of ideas like he really wants Ben Simmons to come around. If he was just apathetic towards it, he's like, all right, just go home he doesn't care anymore. He's given up on Ben Simmons at that point, which this is just a basic psychology of coaching idea. If you want to know more about it, check out the last lecture by Randy Pausch. It's a really good idea around this, but even still this is how you know whether where the Sixers kind of stand on all of this and the suspension is just you have to show your authority at a certain point you have to assert your leverage in this situation, which
0: well, there's that trending picture too with Ben Simmons literally having his phone in his pocket at this practice. So you knew he wasn't invested from the start it's just oh of course yeah i to see these headlines come out from it i don't think i've seen anything quite like this i
1: i think the hardened thing was close but he still played this is a, this is another level played as
0: well as he could for his extra pounds he was carrying around on the court <laughs>
1: I still don't know if he was, if that was just like a mirage or what, because then he got to Brooklyn and he immediately looked slim. I'm like, you can't just add 15 pounds and lose it in like two days like that. I still don't know whether he was actually fat or not, or if James Harden just has a pot belly, like just in general, I think
0: the fat suit theory is definitely one that I think holds a little bit of weight. If you don't believe the it, that. That? it was, the was pun intended a little bit. Theory? I'm glad you caught that. I, nothing gets past you there. Uh, (laughs) well played
1: well played but yeah I'm learning about all of this now this is real-time reaction for people listening like I just learned about this when Juju brought it up and it's amazing this is amazing how this is all going down for Ben Simmons at this point because he's going to get out of there it's just a matter of when and whether the Sixers are willing to accept less than market value because the thing that happened with Harden was the Rockets were willing to wait for a better offer and they waited until the very last moment possible to trade him because after one game he kind of like lollygagged it and then made some comments in the post-game press conference and they were afraid PJ Tucker was going to go fight him at practice the next day and they were like okay we gotta make this move now we've waited until the last possible minute we're gonna and they got a good offer like they got seven first round picks and Kelly Olenek from the the Brooklyn Nets and so Yeah, it it worked out okay for the Brooklyn Nets. The problem is Simmons doesn't hold
0: that value. Exactly. I was just about to say, James Harden, you're still talking about a former MVP at that point. You're still talking about a guy who can be the scoring leader at any given time on a team. Ben is still this enigma who can't shoot and hasn't gotten better shooting. Yes, he's an all-star, but can he ever be more for a team? Can he ever be, I don't know, a point guard that could win a championship? Ben Simmons is a
1: player you use to acquire a James Harden or a player you use to acquire a Damian Lillard, a very good player, like top 20, 25, whatever you want to say, he's going to make the all star team every year as a shoe in like he's really good this is why you don't trade him for anything less than a player of that caliber. And Jake Fisher is doing good reporting on this for Bleacher Report. And he says the teams that have contacted the Sixers on a Simmons trade, not even progressed on a Simmons trade, just contacted about a Ben Simmons trade. It's Timberwolves, Pacers, New York Knicks, Sacramento Kings, Cleveland Cavaliers Pistons like it is a labyrinth of terrible basketball that is looking to get Ben Simmons for less than what market value is I think if you're Sacramento if you're gonna trade De'Aaron Fox because De'Aaron Fox is younger has a five years on his deal Simmons is a better player four years on his deal if you're gonna trade De'Aaron Fox you have to get something else in exchange from the Sixers so maybe you get Theibel or maybe you get Tyrese Maxey Or something like that. Like, you don't trade Simmons for Fox and, you know, another player. Now, that's the only deal that I think is comparable at this point, unless you really love D'Angelo Russell. But even that is probably not going to happen for the Timberwolves. There's really nothing you can do at this point if you're the 76ers, unless you're willing to trade him for less than what he's worth, which. Maybe they do, because if Simmons is going to not play or get suspended or blow up the locker room and derail the season, which I don't even know if Ben Simmons is capable of derailing the Sixers season, like as great as he is, they wouldn't make the conference finals with him and they wouldn't make the conference finals without him. So I don't know whether he's even capable of derailing the Sixers season, as great a player as he is, but Joel Embiid is just that good that I think they can compensate for losing him. They won't be, you know, they won't be championship good, but I don't think even with him, they would be championship good. So if Ben Simmons is capable of derailing your season, then would it be worth it to just get 50 cents on the dollar, 40 cents on the dollar, whatever you value Buddy Heald and Harrison Barnes at, relative to Ben Simmons and just say, all right, we're going to go ahead with this and just be done with this whole saga.
0: It's funny because- you mentioned a piece like Hilde or Harrison Barnes. Who knows? That might actually be something that legitimately makes the 76ers a better team, just a more rounded team. We talked about all the problems of having Simmons and Embiid on the court at the same time, how it kind of creates traffic in the lane. It has Joel Embiid and keep, have to kick to the outside of the arc so often. Maybe just adding some people around Embiid that could shoot from the outside might actually be a net benefit from there, even if it's just for a season.
1: So my general rule around these moves is that if you're trading a top 25 player in exchange for not a top 25 player, you're losing the trade because it's so hard to get one of those players. The the Chicago Bulls have been trying for 20 years. They can't get one of those players except for two years of Derrick Rose. True, but you're hoping at
0: that point that Embiid is more than a top 25. He's a top five player and can elevate those I don't know what you would consider those guys 50 to 75 players yeah like five
1: five top 100 players if you had you know if we're using the Heald and and Barnes example so Heald Barnes Tobias Harris Seth Curry being top 100 players and
0: you talk about losing the trade what what does that mean does that mean that the the Kings are a better team than the 76ers no because I think if in a vacuum the 76ers would still be better than the Kings even next year, the 76ers might be better than the Kings, and three years from now, is Ben Simmons even on the Kings? Well, certainly four years from now, when he gets to make his own decisions at free agency. But also, but also, four years ago,
1: LeBron James was on the Cavs. With Kyrie Irving was two teams ago, still. So like, you'll live with four years of Ben Simmons, just like the Kings are maybe gonna have four years of De'Aaron Fox. Like, you'll live with that situation. I think it's just your team is worse off in the long run because this is the other part that's complicated is. The 76ers went through five years of losing a ridiculous amount of basketball games. And because they didn't draft Jason Tatum and because they didn't draft Porzingis and because they traded Dario Saric for four months of Jimmy Butler, all they have to show for four years of losing is Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons the the whole process half a decade of being a laughingstock in the NBA you have those two pieces to show for it and it's really really hard to get top 25 players even as easy as it might seem with player mobility in the NBA now and for a team like the 76ers that is a pretty desirable place because they have Joel Embiid it's really hard to get top 25 players anywhere and if Ben Simmons does get better by having a different situation You traded a perennial all-star for not very much. It's the type of trades that historically we look back on and saying those are the all time worst trades of all time. Like Charles Barkley getting traded from the Sixers to the Suns and two years later, not a single player in that trade was still on the 76ers or the Kareem Abdul-Jabbar trade you could throw back to or the Kyrie Irving trade with the Cavs to the Celtics. The Cavs totally lost that trade. All they have left to show for it is Colin Sexton and that championship run with Kevin Love as their second best player. Those are the trades that end up being the all-time worst ones when you look back three, four years from now is if Ben Simmons is really good and Buddy Heald is a fully formed player, which is, I I mean, Buddy Heald I think, 27, 28. So that's like he could theoretically get better, but I think we kind of know what Buddy Heald is at this point, at least if you're getting De'Aaron Fox, there's a chance he becomes a perennial all-star, even if the chance is smaller than I think most people would like to admit. Like that's where you end up losing the trade. It's If you think about the Westbrook trade this year, I thought it was awesome for the Lakers. If you get a top 40 player in the NBA in exchange for Kyle Kuzma and some other guys, like that's a great deal on your part. And yeah, they gave up a first round pick too, but I, unless that person becomes...
0: It's NBA first round picks, you know, it's not, it's not the same weight as other sports. uh, Certainly. Uh, So, yeah, I I mean, I I get what you're saying in terms of the team that always gets the best players, the team that wins the trade, but I I guess it just really depends on me for where that trade destination goes, because I don't know if this is necessarily be a win for Ben Simmons as whole in four years, Ben Simmons is still this player who just can't make a notable difference on a team Then was all this drama this hate, the scorn that he's going to receive really worth it.
1: I don't know if it's that he doesn't make a noticeable difference for teams. I think Ben Simmons is, is in this third tier of stars in the NBA, which is a it's a group with like Chris Middleton and like guys who you shoe in as an all star. Jimmy Butler's kind of right around there. Donovan Mitchell's there now, but we think he's going to get much better, which is if they're your third best player, you can win a championship. If they're your first best player, you can get bounced in the first round. Like just by virtue of having Ben Simmons on your team, you should make the playoffs every single year because he's just that impactful on the defensive end of the floor. And he's proven that in the past. Could have, should have, would have won defensive player of the year. Last year, he finished second to Rudy Gobert. Like just by having... Ben Simmons as your best player, you can be a seven-eight seed in in the Eastern Conference or a, a, an eight-nine seed in the Western Conference, regardless of what else you put around Ben Simmons. Theoretically, like Carl Anthony Towns has been in a terrible situation in Minnesota, but he's in the same Type of camp as Ben Simmons. As long as you put competence around Ben Simmons, if he's your best player, you should be able to make the playoffs. Which, for some teams, they would trade making the playoffs. The Bulls just like gave away a hundred million dollars and five draft picks just to make the playoffs. Like some people would be really happy with that. I'm sure the Sacramento Kings would be really happy with that. They haven't made the playoffs since 2006. But if you're going to be a championship caliber team, Ben Simmons is going to have to be your third or maybe even your fourth best player, depending on how good the best player on. The team actually is. Like, if he's playing with Joel Embiid, probably needs to be your third best player. If it's Damian Lillard's the best player on the team, then yeah, maybe Ben Simmons needs to be your fourth best player to win a championship so that you can supplement offense around him. But I think Ben Simmons is still a really impactful player. I think that's why the Sixers haven't traded him and they're willing to put up with all of this right now.
0: For the sake of not keeping this to be a three-hour podcast, I think we should start moving on because there's still a information that is yet to come from that situation. I'm sure, who knows, we might be talking about a trade here by the next podcast. Stay tuned for that. Let's do a quick little roundup in college football. There's a lot of things coming out this weekend here. So first off, I want to congratulate you on selecting the Purdue game. Whether the Purdue game was a bigger upset than the Jaguars winning in London against Miami, I will leave to the viewers to decide. But yes, the Purdue game over Iowa, the number two ranked team quick thoughts on that one Kyle we'll do kind of like a quick rapid fire here
1: yeah so Purdue ends up winning this game and they don't they're not playing for anything this is a more story about Iowa and the fact that they had a clear path to at least get a one game shot at Ohio State to make the playoffs would they have been underdogs in that game yes but now even that is out the door for Iowa it wasn't even that they lost to Purdue they got the brakes beaten off by Purdue and also Purdue has the most wins of any program against top two teams going back the last 30 years it's really weird because Purdue hasn't really been that good other than just one Drew Brees season where they made a Rose Bowl.
0: Okay, the next topic I want to throw your way. Eddie O seems to be on his way out the door at LSU. Uh, SI had a story come out. They had some quotes from multiple sources regarding Ed Ogeron and his time at LSU. Apparently, after the 2019 title win, Eddie O seemed to develop a bit of a cult status, a cult leader status, to the point where, obviously, he divorced his wife, and there was talks of him bringing around his latest girlfriends to practice, letting their kids run drills there's some comments out there they can fire me I'm a grown man they can come try to get me after a loss against UCLA earlier this year unnamed player said they really effed up all the social justice stuff last year there's no game the team back after that and last big comment that came out is oh was an amazing recruiter and motivator but he failed at the head coach's most important job recruiting the finest coordinators and assistant coaches possible we utterly failed at that now i should note that ed ogeron does have a still pretty impressive record at lsu about 49 wins Losses somewhere between, I want to say, 13 and 16. So still a good record. And obviously some important wins in there. Obviously a 15 and 0 season propels you up there. At the moment, the top five odds for next year's head coach are James Franklin at plus 400, Lane Kiffin at plus 500, Mal Tucker at plus 500, Jimbo Fisher at plus 700, and Billy Napier at plus 800. Do you think Wayne would leave for
1: LSU? Oh, Lane would, but they won't give him the offer. LSU wants to be good at football, but they don't want to be good that way at football. Lane doesn't want to stay in in Oxford, Mississippi. Like He's looking for a better job. It's just that better job hasn't come along yet. Joe
0: Brady at plus 1,200 is interesting. I mean, Joe was obviously there during their 2019 run. You talk about Ed O failing to recruit amazing coordinators. He did get Joe Brady on that staff, and that was arguably the biggest thing that propelled the greatest offense in college football history. While also
1: paying for the highest paid defensive coordinator in all of college football being Dave Aranda, who after the national championship left to be the head coach at Baylor. And then they haven't really hired a good assistant since then. I think they hired Bo Pelini as defensive coordinator last year, and they had the worst LSU defense in 90 years. To the point on Joe Brady, this is from the athletic story that I read around this, that Orgeron was really upset with Joe Brady because Orgeron came from idea where his Cajun value of sort would really emphasize loyalty and that he would run through a brick wall for Pete Carroll or Lane Kiffin or and so if that's the case and there were hard feelings on the way out I don't know if Joe Brady would want to go back to Baton Rouge maybe they offer him the job maybe they don't I thought Joe Brady was waiting for that Bengals job to open up but I think Zach Taylor might be pretty secure now that they have a four and two record but even still I I thought Joe Brady would end up staying in the NFL. Maybe he takes the job. The Jimbo one is funny because Jimbo Fisher currently has a buyout of $95 million at Texas A&M, which is twice as much as the next closest coach in college football. So there's no chance that LSU is going to pay $100 million for Jimbo Fisher to be their head coach. So James Franklin? Maybe.
0: James Franklin, I mean, there's a limit to how good you can really be in the Big Ten. Obviously, Penn State, they're not making the college football playoff because we talked about Iowa losing this past weekend to Purdue that almost in an instant kills Penn State's best claim unless they go on a crazy magical run to close out the season, win the Big Ten championship. I don't see it, especially because now we have that mix of Big Ten schools in the middle of the rankings where we have Ohio State, Michigan, and Michigan State all around that range. James Franklin, at least if you go to LSU, you have an opportunity to stand out amongst the crowd. And certainly LSU, you're in a great recruiting base. He does kind of, in a way, feel like an odd hired to me in fact the crazy thing I think about this as a whole is doesn't Ed O just feel like an LSU head coach doesn't he feel like that perfect SEC head coach you talk about his values as a Cajun. Literally, you're in his dream Cajun job. His, his dream world. job was to be the head coach at LSU back,
1: even when LSU was bad, like back in the 80s and not, and 70s. Like his dream was to be the head coach at LSU. And then he got there and he got to the mountaintop. And Bill Belichick talked about this in that documentary he did with Nick Saban. It's like there's kind of a blueprint to get to the mountaintop. Nobody really knows what to do once you become the mount. And I think Ed Orgeron fell apart. After getting to the mountain, winning the championship at LSU, there was nothing really left at that point. Ed Orgeron was the guy, but he was a super unpopular hire when he first got there. Like they were like, we're LSU. Why are we hiring this guy to be our head coach when we could have had Tom Herman, which didn't exactly work out super hot for Texas either. But even still, they thought like, why are we hiring this dude to be our coach? We're LSU. We should be able to go get big splash guys. And they fired their athletic director. They hired the guy from Texas A&M. He wants to make a big splash. He's going to throw money at Dabo, and Dabo's going to say no. He might throw money at one of these NFL guys, and they'll say no. If James Franklin gets to pick between LSU and USC, I think he's going to take LSU and that SEC money, even if it comes with higher expectations. But other than that, (laughs) whenever these coaching jobs open up, I'll throw Bill O'Brien in the mix just because I want Bill O'Brien back in my life.
0: Plus 2500, but I think making that case after Alabama's first loss of the season a couple of weeks ago, which we actually slept on that one, talking about that one last week, I, I think that that's going to make it a little bit harder. Like if you are one to like bring up Bill O'Brien's past resume, obviously he has succeeded at the college level with Penn State. So I, I guess you could say he does have a history. We'll see how he finishes out the season with Bama. And yeah, I think eventually
1: someone will problem. give Bill O'Brien a job. It probably won't be one of these massive programs. It'll probably be like an old Miss or a Tennessee, or maybe one of those big 12 schools will give Bill O'Brien a head coaching job. That seems to be the next step for him because I think he's kind of blacklisted in the NFL at this point. But I think it's going to be a couple of years. I think he's going to have to be OC for two or three years and then he'll get one of those big head coaching jobs.
0: Last thing, what's more odd to throw on a field, a golf ball or a mustard bottle?
1: I like the guy who threw just the entire box of pizza on the field. I like that guy the most of, of all the options. But that's so wasteful.
0: Come on, man. You know how much (laughs) stadium pizza costs? Like 20 bucks you just threw on the field.
1: Yeah, in Tennessee too. I love the person who did the math that said there was approximately $140,000 of beer and water on the field at that Tennessee game, which was wonderful. I'm going to say golf ball just because Lane Kiffin picked it up and kept it. But we should not sleep on the fact that an entire Heinz yellow mustard bottle was thrown on the field.
0: Yeah, see that one, I could believe in a slight case. Because even though I know most stadiums have the pumps, you know, for the ketchup mustard distribution, there might be a chance that they grabbed it from like a concession stand or mobile cart. So I can believe that's in the stadium. The golf ball is so odd because it's almost like you have to have that in your pocket just waiting. So I don't know if Tennessee fans went into that game with the idea oh, we're going to just fuck shit up if we lose this game. But we're just going
1: to be angry no matter what. That's just the Tennessee volunteer mantra of the last 20 years. We're just going to be angry. (laughs) Our football team is going to be mediocre, and we're just going to be angry because of that one time Peyton Manning won us a national championship.
0: Isn't it so tough when you develop expectations for your fan base? That's almost like one of the most toxic things you could do to your fans is develop positive expectations. Oh, I
1: talk about this all the time. It's the easiest beefs to start with fan bases is the people who have irrational expectations, but their teams are terrible. Chicago Bears, beefing with them for years. Their fans have way too high expectations in their mediocre franchise. Giants, same thing. Broncos, same thing. It's the easiest beefs to win because you're going to be right. Because when expectations are up here and reality is here, this is the window where you get to be laughably right.
0: Any more thoughts on college football before we move into our pro predictions?
1: Uh, Who is the second best team in college football and why is it Jim Harbaugh?
0: (laughs) Okay. You know, I'm okay with Jim Harbaugh and Michigan getting that kind of acclaim. We'll get into some Kyle Shanahan drama here when we talk Niners Colts. But I still think to this day, it might be one of the biggest mistakes in Niners history when we let go Jim Harbaugh. So in a way, I kind of root for Michigan to succeed. It's been tough seeing them lose to Ohio State the last few years and certainly the fashion they have. But, man, they got a dynamic one-two punch at that running back position now. Their defense is rolling. I still have my questions about their quarterback position. You talk about expectations and irrational expectations. It's hard not to have that doubt that they're going to lose just one of these big games to close out the schedule. They have another week before they face Michigan State. I I feel as though that trap game in the middle is going to get them. I forget who they play. But Northwestern, they could lose the Northwestern game and then it's going to ruin everything. They still have to play Penn
1: State and Michigan State and Ohio State coming up this year. The other shocking college football thing is not that Washington State fired their coach over a vaccine mandate in the state. It's that Washington State is first place in the Pac-12 right now. That is a real thing I found out yesterday. Washington State is first place in the Pac-12 with that team that was projected to finish 12th out of 12 in the Pac-12 to
0: start the season. Wow, the Pac-12 really just imploded on itself after Oregon's loss, didn't they? It just They were doing it before that though.
1: Like UCLA lost to Fresno, True. Arizona State lost to both to Arizona State and Arizona lost to BYU Utah lost to San Diego state shout out to the Aztecs like they just been barfing on themselves all year this year and they've technically been doing it for about five years but they just they're barfing on themselves all over the place this year
0: you go Cincinnati though Cincinnati currently at two in the rankings I'm proud of them good for them yeah Desmond Ritter looking like a true Heisman candidate
1: we're not going to talk about how I also said in addition to the Purdue game that UCF would take Cincinnati out this past weekend and lost by forty two points. Yeah, but-
0: Cincinnati's looking dominant at this point. So when they entered the Big Twelve, they're going to come in ready to play. That's for sure. Uh, I know it's
1: not draft season, but Cincinnati currently has three top fifteen prospects right now going
0: into this year's draft. I hear their cornerback is really good. I, I can't. I don't have a name for you here, but I hear they. Oh, have I don't really either. Good I just have.
1: We just have a draft guy on the podcast who said that one time. And now I just repeat it every time Cincinnati gets brought up. I don't know the names of the players yet, but yeah, eventually we're getting there, but we still have football for another few months before we can talk about the draft endlessly.
0: Exactly. Let's get into our NFL predictions. With that said, that's as good of a transition as you're going to get with this one. Kyle, I'm going to let you decide which game we go at first here.
1: Ooh, this is a good one let's talk about the one that's most recent to right now and that's the titans game from yesterday so we have chiefs titans on the docket and i just want to talk about how that game went down between the buffalo bills
0: and the tennessee yes. Titans. can we talk how the titans are the only team that can lose to the jets and then beat the bills i don't understand yeah. the titans because of this reason and their offense for the most part at least todd downing is simple it a little bit. He's giving the Brock to Derrick Henry and just telling him, go get him, big boy. But their passing attack has just been a huge downgrade this year despite getting Julio. I know that they've had injuries between A.J. Brown and Julio, but Even when both those guys are on the field, it doesn't seem like a dynamic passing attack. My worries going into the year about Todd Downing as the coordinator have only been confirmed this year. But hey, great stop by them in that Monday night game. Josh Allen to get a one yard, a one inch conversion on the fourth down. I thought it was money. Josh Allen is 13 for
1: 13 in his career in one yard QB sneaks. So it literally until that moment was absolute money. He had never not gotten one of those.
0: Yeah, so you talk about things just you didn't expect to happen. At one point, too, Buffalo was up by a couple scores. I thought that they were going to start to separate and run away with that game, especially given what the Bills have done in recent weeks with their ability to just put teams away now they're you know they're four and two the Ravens jump up to five and one the AFC the top of that picture is starting to get a lot more congested and uh, tough to read get a read on the situation we have a big game two on the docket that we'll get to between a four and two Bengals team and a five and one Ravens team that's going to have a lot of impact in the AFC but this game itself Titans Chiefs the Chiefs are still fighting for their playoff life as they're currently three and three Yes, they beat the hell of Washington. Of course, they're expected to beat the hell of Washington. But going against the Titans, and the Titans have been a team that has somewhat, obviously the Chiefs have gotten them in the playoffs, yes, but has somewhat had the Chiefs number in terms of their ability to score on the Chiefs. And this is the worst version of the Chiefs defense that we have seen in recent years that I have questions on who realistically can stop Derrick Henry because they're not getting it done in the run defense. They're not getting it done in the pass defense. Last week, I talked about going to Miami Dolphins Twitter to see what they're talking about. I went to Chiefs Twitter, and what they're talking about is, should we just bench Tyron Matthew? The Honey Badger isn't getting it done for them at all this year, whether it's in the pass or the run. You talk about guys like Frank Clark taking a step back, you know, health-wise. Uh, hasn't been the same since he got caught with the Uzi in the car.
1: Yeah, the stereotypical NFL player story. Like if you were writing like sketch comedy from the 1990s of like, what is a stereotypical NFL player going to get arrested for? It's having two Uzi's in your Lamborghini and getting pulled over. That's like stereotypical NFL arrest. But uh, yeah, in terms of Tyron Matthew, you can only bench so many players in the secondary if you're a Chiefs because they just benched yeah. Daniel Sorensen last week. <laughs> they, they're they running out of guys to bench. The only bright spot, Legereus Sneed has been awful this year after he was a pleasant fourth round pick surprise last year. Only bright spots on the team have been Chris Jones to an extent and Nick Bolton, who this is a real thing. We had been talking about him in the draft for months. He was drafted, I think, with the Chiefs first pick because they like traded one to Baltimore for Orlando Brown until Sunday Night Football against the Ravens. I thought Nick Bolton was white and then I found out he was not. Um, I'd been talking about him for like eight months, did not know at all. So, yeah, he's been really good for the Chiefs this year. They currently are ranked 30th in the NFL and DVOA. They were ranked 32 coming into the week, but there is no better tune-up than a Taylor Heineke-led offense to help your defense out a little bit. The Chiefs have a pretty hard schedule this year. Like, I know this is the first game we're talking about this week, and it might be the best game of the week, but this is one of the easier games for the Chiefs the rest of the Does it make way. sense
0: for the Chiefs to be five-point favorites on the road, though?
1: Oh, well, yeah, I'm I'm taking the Chiefs to win and cover the spread. Yes, I think Kansas City, Kansas City has played terrible on offense like three times this year now. And the first half of that Washington game is one where I started to get worried cuz like the first interception goes through Tyreek Hill's hands. I'm like, "Come on, don't do that to Mahomes." Then I think it was Mekole Hardman fumbled. I'm like, "Oh my gosh, this team is just letting down Mahomes." And then the third one, he just kind of flings it while falling down for an interception. I'm like, "I don't have any excuse for that one. That was just bad. <laughs> that was just Mahomes playing poorly, but we're in DEF con 9 situation with the Chiefs and yet they also still scored 31 points against the Washington defense last week. So the
0: Washington defense is pretty bad though this year. Yeah, They are one of the worst statistical defenses. I know we came into the year with heavy expectations for what that defense was and they have not produced anywhere close to that. That does make me want to go contrarian with you. The only reason I'm not is because the Titans on a short week, again, this is the same team that could lose to a Jets on any given week. I'm going to give the Chiefs the benefit of the doubt here because this is a very important game for them. I don't think going three and four is going to be something that's going to be easily recoverable for them. So this is a must-win game for the Chiefs. So yeah, I'm I'm going with them as well. I, I think that this is highly important to a very fluctuating playoff picture they don't want to fall even further behind when it comes to gain important stuff like home field advantage winning their division they still have a chance at that i should say oh so i think face home field advantage is out the door at this point i don't think there's any, I think with three losses you can't get and then you have advantage. a loss against the ravens too so you basically have a two and a half game disadvantage oh and buffalo there. they also and lost buffalo to too buffalo. so see against no. good teams i don't know if the chiefs have a good shot at winning the afc this year You know, that's one thing to talk about too.
1: So here's the thing that I've said, and I will say this consistently. I've said it so much that I'm getting tired of having to defend the Chiefs every single week. Mahomes doesn't look like Patrick Mahomes. The Kansas City Chiefs are the best team in the AFC, but they can be beat any given week. It's not like last year where I came in. I'm like, oh yeah, 80% sure. Chiefs are going to win the AFC. They're just so much better than everyone else. This year, they're better than everyone else in the AFC even with the terrible defense, but it's only like 35% chance they win the AFC because they are still the best team, but no one team has really pulled away like they did last year. To be honest, that's more normal in football. Like we don't have years where teams are just straight path to the Super Bowl. We all know they're going to make it. That usually doesn't happen. Even last year in the NFC, no one was picking the Bucks to make the Super Bowl coming into the playoffs. Uh, the year before, 49ers were the number one seed, but every Everyone believed in the Packers everyone believed in the Saints like it that's more normal I think than what the Chiefs have done the last few years which is just dominate everybody in the AFC and uh, also Patrick Mahomes has never played a game on wildcard weekend in his entire career and this will be the first year that he plays on wildcard weekend which by the way the year they won the Super Bowl only reason they weren't the third seed in the AFC was because of that Ryan Fitzpatrick game winner against the New England Patriots so even though they're not going to be the number one seed and even though patrick mahomes has thrown a lot of interceptions and even though they have a really hard schedule kansas city is still the best team in the afc don't forget it because patrick mahomes is that good and that offense can score 35 points and we still think it's a defcon 9 situation they've only scored 35 points
0: worst case for the chiefs even if they do lose this game to tennessee they have the giants next week so they can easily bounce back again. <laughs> okay, I'll go with the next game selection here. And this one is just so, it's not the main event. I don't show any bias here. I'm just going to say the Colts and Niners, the Sunday night football game this week let's talk about it the Niners are three and a half point favorites coming off a bye the Colts had a big victory against the Texans this week which actually does have some implications within the AFC South given how much of a terrible division it has been the thing that worries me the most heading into this game is that Carson Wentz has actually been heating up for the Colts Uh, he had 402 yards against the Ravens he had a nice passing day against the Texans and currently he has more sprained ankles than he does interceptions on the year. He is not turning the ball over, which I think is a big benefit for the Colts offense that he is not being that turnover prone quarterback that got him in trouble With Philadelphia. This does harken back to last year for the 49ers when they were in a similar situation where they were cleaning the 500, battling for their playoff lives. They had Nick Mullins at quarterback at the time, and they played the Philadelphia Eagles on Sunday night football. And in that game, Travis Fulgham and Carson Wentz connected on two beautiful deep ball passes. Carson Wentz kind of in a way killing the Niners' season last year. Now, this is a game that I think would be unexcusable for Kyle Shanahan to lose. Absolutely unexcusable. Coming off a bye week at home with Jimmy Garoppolo, your starting quarterback, coming back. So you're not starting rookie. So you have no excuse there. This is a must-win situation for Kyle Shanahan and the 49ers. But I'm actually going to choose the Colts. And why I'm going to do this is because prior to the Niners bye week, I had picked the Niners to beat the Packers. I had picked them to beat the Seahawks. I had picked them to beat the Cardinals. Being the superstitious sports fan that I am, I am going to try for the improbable, the unexpected reverse jinx in this situation. So even if it hurts me in the standings, this is my fanhood stands superior in this case. I'm going to go with the Colts in hopes that the Niners win.
1: So I was going to pick the Colts, but now I'm going to switch over to the 49ers because (laughs) only because they're a four point favorite. And I'm just, I'm not going to pretend like I'm smarter than everyone else in this situation. My gambling picks in our take it easy pick'em pool this year have gone, and this is unbelievable. Two and three, three and two, two and three, three and two, two and three, three and two. So I'm pretty much just bat the middle of the road, two forty-seven right now. Like I am playing the average. So I'm gonna just hope that you mess it up and roll with the 49ers. And maybe I can gain another game in our pick'em pool. Uh, or maybe your superstition will come true. Who knows? It's a
0: no-lose situation for me here. Either I pick up a game in the pick'em. Or my Niners aren't complete trash this year. We'll see. Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo, like I said, him being back is another storyline in this game. We'll see how he performs coming off of his calf injury. Trey Lance might actually just straight up miss this week with a knee sprain that he suffered in the Arizona game. The Niners cornerback situation, that's about as healthy as it's going to be coming off the bye. Kwan Williams should be back for them. Josh Norman's back for them. Demondor Lenore, Emmanuel Mosley, all those guys are healthy. The defense was playing a lot better going into the bye week. Obviously, they contained Kyler Murray really well. I think that if they can carry that over and come out with a little bit more juice, because when the Niners are at their best, their defense is at their best, is earlier in games. The thing that's been a notable storyline is play calling in the first half offensively. They need to get off to a hotter start there. And they've had an extra week to plan it out. Good coaches are measured how you come off a buy. Look at what we always talk about with Andy Reid, almost never loses off a buy. This one, if the Niners do lose, it's on you, Kyle Shanahan. So be better.
1: So you, you hit the 49ers on the head there. So I'll go over and talk about the Colts real quick. You know how when we watch like the Cardinals and the Cowboys And we watched those receiving cores. We're like, wow, it's Amari Cooper and CeeDee Lamb and all those tight ends of the Cardinals. It's like they have Hopkins and Green and Rondell Moore and all of those. Christian Kirk, even you could throw it at Max Williams at 100 yard games. Now they have Zach Ertz. Like we, we get super excited about those receiving cores. The Colts are like that, except every single one of them is a wide receiver, too. Instead of a potential wide receiver one, it's like, oh, I guess they have T.Y. Hilton and Michael Pittman and Paris Campbell and Jack Doyle, and none of them get me super excited. But I think just having the plethora of options has done wonders for Carson Wentz in part also having the protection on the offensive line which you know for Jacoby Brissett was best in the league and for Carson Wentz is maybe top 10 they put a pretty good offensive line together they've missed Quentin Nelson most of the season so they've put things kind of stably together for Carson Wentz and Carson's been average and that's a victory for Carson Wentz it tells us about where Carson Wentz stands in the plethora of NFL quarterbacks which is better than Jared Goff and I think we weren't sure coming into this year whether Carson Wentz was better than Jared Goff and now we're starting to see that even though Goff is set up to fail in Detroit we can tell Carson Wentz is still a better quarterback and the the Colts are going to win the game with the running game, because we know that the 49ers struggle in the passing attack this year. Jonathan Taylor, right now, is currently the fifth leading rusher in the NFL. I've made the joke for years that anyone can get a thousand yards running in that Colts offense because Marlon Mack did it twice, and Marlon Mack is literally any running back. But Jonathan Taylor is a legitimately talented running back that is also going to go for a thousand yards for the Colts. And if they can run against the 49ers front four, and if they can average, say five yards a carry for most of this game, get to 20, 25 carries. Cause I assume the 49ers will control time of possession. Kyle Shanahan's really good at that. And they have pretty talented offense. If they can get to 20, 25 carries, pick up 110, 125 yards rushing, then I think the Colts will win the game. And I have faith in the 49ers because now I'm picking them. Um, So I have faith that they can get some stops against Jonathan Taylor. But if you had picked the 49ers, I would have faith in Jonathan Taylor being able to get lots of yards.
0: I'm just going to hope that this isn't the DeForest Buckner revenge game. That's my ultimate hope there. I think most of the Niners faithful would agree with me on that front. Speaking of revenge games, though, let's talk about this week's premier revenge game that you forced my hand in selecting for our top 5 here. We have the Lions going against the Rams. Let's see what that current line is sitting at. Currently, yeah, and before we make
1: jokes about that, Juju's alternative was picking the terrible Giants against the terrible Panthers, which I thought I you wanted just... to
0: make some Sam Darnold jokes, man. I was trying to think of you there. I thought you wanted oh, to talk I could about also how do... Sam Darnold devolve from 3 and 0 to 0-3 in the last three games here. No, but I just would have spent said, no, the five no, minutes no, It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. We <laughs> could talk about Jared Goff and the 0-6 Lions being 15-point underdogs in Los Angeles. <laughs> let's let's talk about that. So first of all, <laughs> let's just get this out of the way here. We're both going with the Rams, I assume, correct?
1: Well, actually, Juju, no, I would say no. You're,
0: okay, I was going <laughs> to... No, you you were about no, to no get roasted do hard, my friend, for that one. Now, here's <laughs> no, the thing I will say. Stories. I want the Lions to win. I really do. It would be so poetic, in a way, if the Lions, led by Jared Goff, won this game. Because as much as we talk about Matthew Stafford and his relationship with the Lions, I think how Sean McVay and Jared Goff had that split at the end was... One of those more toxic style breakups in recent years, McVeigh, I saw had a quote earlier this week where he's kind of like talking about how he wishes that things went a little bit differently at the end because he basically didn't even tell Jared Goff that he was getting traded personally. It was something that Jared Goff really found out via Twitter uh, according to some of the reports there, because obviously McVay and Stafford really got things done and their little vacation to Cabo. <laughs> Funny as an Iron Sand too, because apparently Kyle Shanahan was in Cabo at the same time, one of those off-season storylines to talk about. But it would be something if the Lions were able to win this game it's not going to happen but it would be one of those greater memories that we remember years from now do you remember when Jared Goff went into Los Angeles just had a game for the ages man Campbell got his first win by the way I actually have really grown to appreciate Dan Campbell over the recent weeks I know people want to clown on him for having that emotional moment after the loss a couple weeks ago against the Vikings where he was crying. But I'm not going to lie. I kind of like that enthusiasm as a coach, that he cares about his players and his team that much. He knows that his team isn't that good. But I think that the Lions should give Dan a little bit more run, like give him a couple more seasons to really get this turnaround, because I am starting to see the Lions play well. They have started to start play better. They had a bad week against the Bengals, but the Bengals are just a good team this year. So I don't blame them for game blowing out in that game. I don't blame them for game blowing out in the Niners game in week one. At this point, it's just a talent issue for the Lions. But I think that the players, if you're seeing the effort there, you're starting to see that culture change. That's a good thing. That's why you change that head coach, because you want the culture to change. That's why you get rid of a Matt Patricia, because he's not motivating the players like Dan is. Now, can he maintain this type of shift over years? That's going to be the question that he's going to be need to be answered. Can he draft players that help that uh, minutiae of the team? That's going to be the thing that Dan's going to have to answer over the next couple of years. But I like at least what I've seen from the Lions, even at 0-6 to this point. Your thoughts, anymore in this game because again it's more of a storyline thing than it is really an actual game preview
1: yeah, I like the storylines more. You you went into the game minutia a little bit, but uh the manliest thing Man Campbell has done, and Man Campbell is more of a man than all of us. I will say that first and foremost here. The manliest thing he has done is cry after losing to the Vikings because real men show their emotions. But Man Campbell, this is this is kind of the best case scenario the Lions could have is us thinking and universally thinking they're like the best bad team in the NFL while also being the only winless team in the NFL. Because what is gonna be more memorable down the road is it that one victory because alexander madison fumbled a football or is it going to be the number one pick kavon thibodeau out of oregon ending up in detroit silver and blue like i think this is the best case scenario you could have they're doing tanking correctly the team was designed to fail this year man Campbell knew this when he signed up I think Holmes is the name of the GM Brad Holmes he signed up for it when he got there the team was going to be bad they were going to lose a lot of football games and at this point they're doing a tank correctly compared to you know like the Eagles who are actually pretty good I think the Eagles and Lions are probably fairly comparable but the Eagles would have like the number eight pick and the Lions would have the number one pick right now and so it's working out okay for Detroit losing is not a huge problem right now maybe you want to avoid going zero and 17 just because you've become a bit of a laughing stock. but ideally just win the one and you're fine
0: if this was the one could you imagine that would just make their entire season
1: that was where I was going to go next it's like we don't talk enough about how that Goff McVay thing finished out because there was a great insider report done by ESPN I forgot the name of the lady who did the reporting but it was really well done inside the Rams organization where Jared Goff and Sean McVay did not talk to each other the last six weeks of last season like they communicated through assistant coaches And would not talk to each other other than just the cliche, let's just get through this conversation so we can go to the next thing. Like they were totally at odds with each other. And McVay, unlike a lot of other teams, wasn't willing to just sit still and be terrible. He was willing to sacrifice draft picks and cap space, et cetera, et cetera, to try and get out from that situation because they had clearly made a mistake with Jared Goff and he didn't develop the way they had anticipated that he would develop after his third season. Jared Goff, I think this year has like an 85 passer rating, which is slightly below league average. I think Jared Goff is still for the next few years, a guy who terrible teams can use as a spot starting quarterback. Um, the Lions might use him next year. I don't know if Man Campbell's going to want to keep Jared Goff that long. Maybe they'll just make him the backup. But I think Jared Goff is kind of capable of starting in the NFL still. And he'll be the Lions quarterback the rest of the season, even if Man Campbell has issues with him. He'd love to get the revenge against the Rams. It would be like Rocky going the distance in that old movie that Sylvester Stallone was in. It, for For young people my age. So Rocky was this movie that came out in the 1980s. 1970s. It won Best Picture. It was a sports movie. Yeah, it, it was oh, a pretty God. good. You I,
0: really have to preface Rocky. Is that where we've gotten as a society? We have to. Rocky preface was Rocky? made. Rocky
1: was made 27 years before I was born.
0: So it, I'm only seven years older than. <laughs>
1: Man, exactly. make me feel,
0: old. you're making me feel ancient here saying Rocky's that old. God. Oh, Rocky, Sylvester Stallone's in his
1: 70s. Like, of course, that movie is super old now. Yet,
0: we'll still expect Rocky 8 on our table by next March. All right, is it Creed now? I don't it's even Creed. know. I... Either way, I get where you're getting at. I, yeah, I, that it's... that situation was so bad at the end for the Rams between Goff and McVay that it would be almost in a way, justice if Jared Goff would get this win. Because you kind of feel for the player there, because I think Jared Goff performed admirably for the Rams in the last couple of years. Obviously, there was a playoff game where he played through it hurt, you know, played through a win hurt. And I think that that shows a lot of character for a guy that's reputation has just been kind of thrown under the bus essentially yeah. with this trade. And yes, the Rams are five and one now. And if you ask the Rams or anyone in the Rams organization, any Rams fan, they probably said, I 10 out of 10, I would make this trade Goff or Stafford. But it's not like Stafford was coming in with this glowing reputation of playoff success, MVPs, top five finishes. He himself had a troubled history that yes, we wrote a lot off on the Lions organization for, but Jared Goff, at bare minimum, you know he was a guy that was in a Super Bowl a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. So in his mind, you're trading me, a guy that took this team to the cusp of the promised land, was within one possession, one score of winning the Lombardi, for a guy that hasn't even made it out of the first round of the playoffs.
1: But that's that's a super simpl-
0: yes, simplistic. Yes, but every, way of ev- everyone's at the it, hero of their course. own story. That's my thing. If you're coming at it from Jared Goff's point of view, I think he would probably look at that and tell you that's how he views this situation yeah in his mind he might even think he's better than matthew stafford whether that's right or wrong is for us to interpret from a non-partisan standpoint here
1: oh yeah no i'll tell you it's wrong like there's it's no wrong, there's no yes. way jared
0: goff is better than stafford
1: but even still like i think we all knew that hence why they- they gave up two first round picks to yeah. get Stafford plus Goff, but Goff's story reminds me a lot of Trubisky. We can finish on this because again, this game is a 15 point spread, but even still Goff reminds me of Trubisky where it's not that they've played poorly. I mean, they're not great. It's just, we set the bar way too high and set them up to be disappointing for Goff. That's with the contract extension that set the bar super high for him. And for Trubisky, it's just that he's not Mahomes and Deshaun Watson who were drafted immediately after him. I think the same thing might still Start happening to Tua as well as Herbert plays out of his mind. And Tua plays pretty well, but he's not Justin Herbert. And so I think we're just setting the bar super high where perception is different than reality. Jared Goff's probably like the 27th best quarterback in the NFL right now. Like he's kind of in that tier of guys just holding on to starting jobs, and he's set up in a position where he's gonna fail, but even still, it was never a case where Jared Goff should have been the highest paid quarterback in the NFL. And it just happened to flame out spectacularly for the Rams in the two years after that.
0: What game are we on, Kyle? What, what game are we on? Um, I, I thought we were on three, right? Um, three, anyone? Um, no? You see what I'm doing here. I see you what, what you're did doing there. here. So, because we yeah, got to talk about the- four fingers here. Yes, because we got to talk about the Bears and Bucks. And that, of course, gave us this very memeable moment of Tom Brady holding up the four fingers, thinking he was on fourth down when it was, in fact, not fourth down at that point. It would have been fifth down there for Tom. Uh, I think he was just thinking about how many ring fingers he was going to hold up. Or just having a a senility moment, just forgetting real quick. Exactly. It, It tends to happen in older years. But This game, even though this is the second biggest line of the week, 12 and a half points, which again, I think we could just get our picks out of the way early here. Bucks. Bucks. But it is a fun one to talk about because, of course, this one does have memories going back to last year. This was the famous... One where, of course, Brady had that moment and then also refused to shake the hand of one Nick Foles, who was standing on the sideline there against the Bears. This was a Thursday night game last year that the Bears won. I would say this, if we added points into this one, I don't know if I see the Bears losing by 12 and a half on this. They've kept a lot of these games kind of close and their defense has played admirably to where I think that they could do a lot of the things that trouble Brady like they did last year. The Bucs will ultimately come out the victors. But I can see this being like more of a touchdown difference or a backdoor cover type situation. 12 and a half points, I think, is a little high for a team that is still three and three. And we talked about them last week with the Bears. We don't see them as a playoff team, but technically season ended today. They might be a playoff team. Matt Nagy might get back to the playoffs yet again, you know, being the Bill O'Brien of Chicago. <laughs> and I'm they, so upset
1: by all of that. I'm so yeah. upset that he's still employed. I'm so upset that the Bears think that they have you a chance.
0: Are what your record is, right, Bill Parcells? No,
1: no, I'd never subscribe to that. Bill Parcells is wrong. You're the Bears and Chiefs are not the same team. Bill Parcells, you can get out of here at
0: this point with that. But well, you know, no. <laughs> yes, we talked about you know we talked about them last week with the Packers. We didn't give them a chance against the Packers. We were right. Aaron Rodgers owns their fans as he made it a point to say, can Tom Brady once again, outdo Aaron Rodgers. Is he going to get this win and then yell into the camera that he owns what Aaron Rodgers owns that. No, will be see, the one this, is, this is there. incorrect
1: because Tom Brady owns the jets and the bills And the Dolphins, while Aaron Rodgers owns the Lions, the Bears, and to a certain extent, the Vikings. Does Tom Brady
0: own the Dolphins? As I recall, those last few years with that Miami game in December tend to be his. The Dolphins, Tom Brady was drafted in 2000. That was the same year the Dolphins won their last playoff game. So I will say yes. Uh, I mean, hey, Tom Brady just comes into the conference and decides, you know what? Winning the NFC is just too easy. I'm just going to go ahead and beat. Drew Brees, and Aaron Rodgers, and Patrick Mahomes on my way to the Super Bowl. He just retired those guys. He
1: just retired Phillip Rivers and Drew Brees. He was drafted before both of them. He retired them. It doesn't make any sense. To the game itself, the only problem I have with the chance that there's a, a point spread cover here is... Bears offense is so bad it's so bad and to add to the problems at this point it's going to be Khalil Herbert starting at running back for the he's team run well
0: he's actually run really well in the last couple of games I would say the Bears yeah. do a great job of generating a run game whether it's Williams Herbert or Montgomery
1: I think the problem now is that the bucks are the best run defense in the NFL which will, you know, basically squash that idea and Justin Fields even. Like Justin Fields has gotten involved in the running game too at this point if whenever naggy or bill Lazor, whoever's calling plays for the bears at this you never know who's calling the plays for the bears it's one of those two whatever they've been doing it's been kind of working out in terms of fields in the running game the problem is just fields is not a very accurate passer right now he's i think he's at like 53 percent completion percentage at this point which is rough for chicago i don't think there's enough You know, I mean, maybe they make the playoffs in the NFC, but we've talked about the NFC being kind of a deep conference. I don't think they're going to be able to win enough to get there. Even last year, they benefited from Kyler Murray's shoulder injury at the end of the season, but I don't think there's anything there that can save Nagy's job. This one feels like it has the elements for a bloodbath, but the Bears might not be as bad as I think they are. They beat the Buccaneers last year. Obviously, it was a totally different team, but maybe the Bears aren't as bad as I think they are, because I thought coming to the season, they would only win like four games the entire year, and they've already won three to start this year. So maybe they're slightly better than I thought they were, but this one could be a bloodbath.
0: Yeah, again, you have to give them credit for their impressive wins, too. They beat Cincinnati. They beat the Raiders. The Raiders obviously came out big last week. They're a 4-2 team. Cincinnati's a 4-2 team. They can be trouble for contending teams on any given day. If this game was not Chicago, I might have given them more of a chance potentially not, nah, you know, a chance, all things considered. Um, yeah. But if Justin Fields is going to have his most impressive day as a passer, it would be against this Bucs secondary. You mentioned they might have to get away from the run game. That is where Justin Fields has to make plays with his arm because you can beat this Bucs secondary. You can get them over the top. I even saw in this last game, I think Richard Sherman went out with the injury. So literally they're signing guys off the street. They're coming in and getting injured. That part of their defense is not something to write home about when you're talking about the Buccaneers. The thing that I think is an X factor for the Bucs recently is they've really started to get Leonard Fournette involved. They've really started to make him a bigger element of their offense. They're not getting pass happy, which could eventually hurt the Tom Brady MVP campaign. But if playoff Lenny is playing like this all year, you have to remember the draft pedigree of Leonard Fournette, then I think that he's going to make that offense even more well-balanced and a balanced Bucks offense even sounds like even more of a nightmare situation where you can't plan for one thing or the other. Of course, you know, they're in, still in a Bruce Arians offense, so they're going to take their shots down the field. But now you have to prepare for this first-round drafted running back in Leonard Fournette who's taking a bulk of the carries 20 touches a game. That's even more problematic. I, I think the Bears just have... Advantage in the sense that they have a good defense that could hold off most run games. Like I said, I think the Bears could cover. I I think that that's entirely possible. I think they can make this within a 10 point game, at least. You know, when you talk about a line as big as 12 and a half, I don't see them as that bad. I don't see them as bad as the Lions against the Rams. Yeah, I mean, this is all to say again, we're both picking the bucks I don't think we can say much more than that. We really just put this in here for, again, this moment this is all I really wanted out of this
1: and everyone's on bye week this week so all our, our our alternatives were not plentiful at that point you mean There's you didn't want to of, talk to the Panthers
0: and the Giants come on you,
1: you could have heard me rant for five minutes about how it's time to fire Gettleman and Judge and that you have a built-in excuse to do it right now so you should just do it and evaluate the roster from there you could know, oh, hear me okay. rant about that for five minutes
0: Okay. Well, you know, I, I do want to hear you rant. I do want to ha- rant about how wrong you were about this next team we're going to talk about, the Cincinnati Bengals. So of course, we have to talk to you, the resident Bengals hater, Kyle Ledbetter, about yeah. how the Bengals are sitting at 4-2 and two, just behind the 5-1 and one Ravens. And yeah, the Bengals didn't have an impressive week 6 victory other than the fact That they blew out the Lions. And what I always tell you, and what I've told you before, is I think a good marker for a good team in those matchups against those bad teams is he got to blow them out. And they did blow them out. So I think that that is a good victory in that sense. When it comes to the Ravens, demolishing the Chargers like they did, wow, uh, was not expecting that one. You listen to Justin Herbert talk in his press conference, he's telling the reporters how they were just showing them disguises that they didn't have any record of on tape. So it was a great performance by Wink Martindale to be able to contain the Chargers offense that we thought was just so explosive uh, coming off of their recent performances. I mean, I don't think there was a reason to necessarily doubt Justin Herbert going into that game, but the Ravens just had an excellent game plan to be able to do it. In fact, you know, it's funny. I look back at our game preview from last week. I was looking, saying how the committee approach for the Ravens, I didn't think would be able to generate the run game. Well, it just shows that even you and I might have a chance to run on this Chargers defense because Devontae Freeman... Le'Veon Bell and Latavius Murray all scored touchdowns in that game. Just absolute bloodbath. Why this game should be fun to watch is the Bengals, I've been doing a little bit of research on their team and how they drafted. A lot of their players almost seem like they were built around the idea of stopping a Ravens-style offense. You talk about guys like Trey Hendricks, who's just been doing a great job getting into the backfield, DJ Reader, you know, Jesse Bates. These guys were all kind of drafted with that idea of looking at Lamar playing within the AFC North, and they're six-point underdogs going into Baltimore, almost a touchdown underdog. That almost feels a little high for just how close the Bengals have kept most of these games. You know, I'm just gonna go back to the wall here. I'm gonna say the Bengals win this one.
1: Oh, thank you, thank you for that freebie right there. Because uh, I was gonna take the Ravens no matter what. Sometimes, you said like we saw freebie the-
0: a couple weeks ago. Remember, it wasn't it wasn't a cheat freebie there when they faced the
1: Packers. My I also favorite. said the Jaguars were going to be a freebie and that, that didn't work out. So maybe well that's the key.
0: Maybe that's the key. Keep now, an yeah. eye on I'm, that folks.
1: So yeah, behind the scenes a little bit, like sometimes I have two helmets just in case, you know, Juju picks one and I'm like, Ooh, I really want to pick an opposite here. I only had the Ravens. I was going the Ravens the whole way. If we pick the same, we pick the same, but even still, Uh, Let's address the Bengals real quick, because uh, you said that it wasn't super impressive last week. And I was quite impressed because exactly what you mentioned, which is that the, the good teams beat up on the terrible teams a lot. And I did not think the Bengals were that when I made the now famous decree that when the Packers were playing the Bengals, I'm like, well, this is not a playoff matchup. The Bengals are not a playoff team, even though they do still have the hardest schedule the rest of the season. That still hasn't changed. The Bengals... And this is a major concession on my part. The Bengals are better than I thought they were two weeks ago. The I Bengals, thought you were going to
0: make the major, major concessions, declare them a playoff team after that one. Nope.
1: This okay. is a major, from me who is notoriously stubborn, I say sarcastically, but the Bengals are better and notoriously nuanced, by the way. I'm also very nuanced. I don't swing my opinions week to week very much about a team. The Bengals are better than I thought they were when they played the Packers. Are they going to make the playoffs? I think that's semantics at this point because we know who five of the playoff teams are going to be in the AFC. It's going to be Baltimore, Buffalo, Kansas City, the Chargers, and the Browns. Barring injuries like Cleveland should be okay, but those five teams should be a shoe into the playoffs. Then we also have someone who has to get the playoff spot in the AFC South, probably the Titans. Who cares? Doesn't matter. They'll lose to whoever the five seed is, which means there's only one playoff spot left to grab. Do the Bengals get it? It's besides the point. The fact that the Bengals are in that position in the first place is a huge victory for them. Burrow and Chase are the best deep threat game in the NFL. And I can say that with a smile because I have Jamar Chase on my fantasy team that is five and one and in first place. This is an absolutely stacked offensive unit. You mentioned the defense, which is much improved. And you mentioned Hendrickson and Jesse Bates and DJ Reader. I think you missed the one player who's going to be the ultimate X factor going into this game. And that is the pro football focus, third ranked defensive player at the middle linebacker position, Logan Wilson, third round pick linebacker out of Wyoming. Shout out to the mountain West hashtag mountain best conference. That dude has been amazing this year. And he's one of these like flyer pickups that has turned out really well for the Bengals. He is the guy who's going to be QB spying Lamar Jackson the whole way who amazingly Lamar Jackson now runs his own play action that he sets up his own runs to set up his own play action because Lamar Jackson is really good. We, we did mess with the chargers defense a little bit uh, in stopping the run, but they were really good at stopping Lamar Jackson passing game in that 34 to six bloodbath Lamar Jackson after starting eight for nine I think he went like 10 for 21 with two interceptions and no touchdowns
0: I think what really shifted around that game looking at the highlights was the sudden changes because there was twice that the Chargers turned over on downs within their own territory I know they had to be a little bit more aggressive as they continue fell behind but they did it out one point when they were down by only two scores in the first half is when they turned over Mm -hmm. on downs the first time, of course, the Ravens being the offense that they are, were able to turn that into quick points and you just can't keep allowing that to happen. I think the Bengals will be a lot smarter with it in their play calling this week. And again, they match up very well defensively against the Ravens in similar ways to you mentioned the Chargers, except I think they might actually do a better job on containing this running back committee that the Ravens have put together. The Chargers right now are allowing 160 running yards per game. They're one of the absolute worst at stopping the run. And I think it's impressive when you consider how, you mentioned Chase and Burrow. They're beating coverages that are designed to not get burned by the deep ball. They were beating too high safety against the Lions. And could you say that the Lions, do they have the best safeties in the league? No, but you would also say that you're beating two NFL defenders deep on a too high safety. I think that's very impressive. And I think that this, this Bengals offense is just really well put together. Their line that we malign going into the year. They played all right. They're about an average offensive line, but you have Joe Mixon. Now they're able to mix in some AJ P. Ryan or Chris Evans. So it's a one-two punch that they've developed at the running back position. And they might have one of the deepest wide receiving units in the National Football League when you consider Chase, Boyd, and Higgins. Those three up top are good enough any week to beat most secondaries. And Joe Burrow, what he's been able to do as he's gotten healthier getting into the year, is impressive. He might develop. I'm not saying he is this now. He might be a top 10 quarterback in the National Football League very, very soon. He is looking like he's on that trajectory. He's not as mobile as most of the guys we think of at the top. But I I think that he might be that next evolution of the pocket passer because he's just mobile enough even with the leg injury. I've just been really impressed with the Bengals because they've just been able to, even in the games that they've lost, they cover, they stay in games, they blow out the bad teams. And John Harbaugh himself going into this game said that he believes they're one of the best teams in the NFL. And it's hard to disagree with him because they're just playing the most consistent football. They're not getting too high. They're not getting too low. They're just playing consistent football. That's why I will say here, I think they are a playoff team. I think that they will keep that spot that they're in right now because you look at the other teams are fighting for playoff spots. The Raiders right now, they're four and two, but obviously they have no head coach for the rest of the year. And they've had performances where they just get too high. They get too low. The Raiders can jumble around quite a bit. The Broncos, you look at them, we don't consider them really much of a playoff team anymore. And then the Browns, who they're fighting within their own division, the Browns, I mean, they have to address what's going on in Baker Mayfield. They just got blown out by the Cardinals, and their quarterback has a lat issue. They have injuries across the board. As long as the Bengals stay healthy, I don't see how they're not a playoff team at this point.
1: The Browns one would be the exception. If the Browns get so injured that their season falls apart, kind of like what happened to to your 49ers or the Cardinals last year, that changes the math on this because then there's two playoff spots available. And if there's two playoff spots available, then I give one of them to the Cincinnati Bengals because the other team we're not talking about is the Steelers who are just kind of hanging around, just trying to stay afloat this point. I'm also very thankful that neither of us talked about the Broncos as the playoffs. I'm glad that we finally stopped talking about that as a legitimate possibility. But also the Bengals, I keep saying it a bunch, Bengals got a really hard schedule this year. It it just broke that way for them this year. They do play the Jets still. They do but play they're the Jets. in those
0: games with the good teams. If they just turn a couple of those into wins, listen. If they go six and five the remainder of the year, they have, they're a ten win team. I think that they're slightly better than six and five. I Ooh, think that, that let's play this game then. I like this
1: game. Let's pull up the Bengals schedule and go down the line. I know it's simple content, but sometimes simple content is good content. So you know
0: the funny thing is if we were to do this with the Browns. Browns, uh, man, I should have just referred to my preseason Browns pick. You realize I'm 6-0 on the Browns this year in the preseason? Yeah, you, you were bragging the about previous that two weeks
1: the slump buster chat. I, I get that. It's it's fun when you get to be that accurate. You should have kept picking the Browns at this point. You should I should have kept, kept picking
0: them. them according to my preseason picks. We'll get into that with the Browns preview. But okay, you got that Bengal schedule pulled up?
1: So yeah, you, you have them beating the Ravens this week. So after that, they are at the Jets. When? Home against the Browns.
0: I think they'll split with the Browns, whether that's home game or the road game. So let's just say they go one and one against the Browns.
1: All right. I will I will make a mental note of that when we go down the board here. So Raiders on the road at the Raiders.
0: I'm going to say win because I don't think the Raiders are going to be good in several weeks. I know they came out hot coming off of Gruden's departure, but it's hard to maintain that same focus. So then they are home against the Steelers they crushed the Steelers the last time they played them. And that was in Pittsburgh then, right? Yes. If they crushed them and there was that much of a difference, it's hard for me to see them losing that game. They might sweep the Steelers this year.
1: Wow. Well, I think if that's the case, they'll definitely make the playoffs because then they're they're for sure a 10-win team if they could sweep the Steelers. Then you have
0: home against the Chargers. I mean, we saw the Chargers just travel to the East Coast and they didn't look that impressive. Can they fix that by the time that game rolls around? I'm going to say they lose that one, but I think it's going to be a very good game. In fact, that's one of the games I really want to spotlight. Whenever that game comes up, just note that that's going to be a game we're going to talk about. Justin Herbert versus Joe Burrow.
1: Got to wait till December for that one, but we'll take the mental note now. Call that Uh, an early
0: Christmas gift.
1: Home against the 49ers.
0: I feel like I'm getting boxed in the corner with this one here, huh? A little bit, just a little. Should I do a multi-week reverse jinx and say the Bengals win that one now? At this point, (laughs) if the Niners secondary continues to get injured or banged up, I don't think the Niners necessarily have a secondary that could keep up with the Bengals wide receivers. And depending on what our quarterback situation is by that point, I think the Bengals might roll into that game as favorites, even on the road. So is that a win? Or are you just refusing to make the pick? (laughs) (laughs) Um... Okay. Well, I will say right now the Niners get that win because it is going right. to be a road game. It is going to be potentially a big primetime style game if both those teams are competing by that point.
1: So then we have Broncos at Denver. Win. Home against the Ravens.
0: So I already picked them to beat the Ravens this week. I'm going to say they lose that one against the Ravens.
1: And then home against the Chiefs.
0: I'm going to say they lose that game just because Kansas city will start rolling towards the end there. That means you have them at exactly a 10 and 17. Exactly. So yeah, they, they are a team that is long and hell, you know, they could flip one or two of those games. Like I said, I gave them a loss in the Niners game, but if they win that game, then they're a 11 win team and they have played as good as a 10 to 11 win team. That's what I'm saying. I, I think, that even if they don't finish with that record, they've played as good as a team that could finish with that record.
1: I don't disagree, even if I don't agree exactly to that point. But the Bengals are better than I thought they were going to be at the start of the year. And I will concede there is a universe where the Bengals make the playoffs this year. That is not something I thought we'd say at the start of the year, but it's entirely a real possibility right now. It'll be interesting to see how this plays out for Cincinnati because... Everything just seems to go poorly for Cincinnati whenever they
0: try and have nice things. (laughs) Well, I guess you could say it's a Stripe Hype Tuesday on the Slump Buster podcast because I'm picking the Bengals. Kyle's hating on the Bengals, picking the Ravens. We'll see what the playoff record is at the end of the year. This is going to be a conversation we obviously revisit. But until then, let's close out this episode on a proper note. All right, guys. If you're watching this on YouTube, leave a like on this video. Helps the algorithm, helps the channel. Leave a subscription. If you're watching this on iTunes, come on, give us a five-star review. Let us know in the comments, like, some things that you want us to talk about in future episodes. Well, I kind of keep interacting with you guys, and we think ratings are a great way of doing that. Make sure to check out our partner at Come on, don't be a chump. Use promo code SLUMP at cavemancoffeecode.com. Promo code SLUMP for some delicious cold brew coffee. Jujutsu Talk Sports. Kyle Ed better. Let's stay safe, happy, and healthy, and we'll see you next time.